0: Okay, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Curveball Conversations. This is episode two. Um, We're going to take more of an in-depth look into the Toronto Blue Jays season. So usually this is where I would kind of introduce uh, my co-host, Ashton Todd, but Ashton has actually decided to drop out of school. So Ashton was a photographer here at the University of Nebraska. Um, He took photos for the football team. And he has recently decided that he wants to try and freelance. Um, So he's going to drop out, become a freelancer, and take his talents that way. So he's gone back home uh, to Kansas City area, and he's going to do that. So (laughs) this is more of a – I had different plans for the podcast um, for episode two, kind of do more of a whole MLB analysis. But you know what? I decided to do more of an in-depth look at the Blue Jays season, look where things went wrong for the Blue Jays after being eliminated in the wild card uh, round against the Minnesota Twins. Um, So let's just go into it um, and get started here talking about the Toronto Blue Jays. So, obviously, where we left off last, we talked about the Toronto Blue Jays having about six games left in their home stand, facing um, the Yankees and the Tw- and the Tampa Bay Rays um, to end their season. So they were fighting for that second wild card spot, and they needed to clinch um, a wild card spot as well. So as they were playing throughout the series, obviously it ended up. Beating the Yankees in one of those games, they only won one of three, but that was huge um, as well. And then they went on to face Tampa, where they got some luck um, with Seattle losing, um, and they actually clinched without winning a game um, against Tampa in the first uh, the first game they clinched. So it was actually pretty pretty impressive. Um, so not the celebration the Jays were looking for, obviously, and I think that's kind of what carried over into the into postseason. It really didn't feel like they deserved to be there. It's not like they had the—they obviously had the talent um, going into the season. The Blue Jays were projected to be a World Series contender. Uh, they had big signings. Um, you know, I, I think they all had the opportunity to come in, bringing in Chris Bassett. Um, having Kevin Gosman return for another Cy Young-looking year. They obviously had Alec Manoa, who they thought was going to be a stud, um, after coming off an all-star year where he finished second in in, uh, Cy Young voting. So the pressure was there, Um, and I think guys like Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Bo both said, you know, we're ready for this moment. We want to be there and um, helping this team win and win in big games. So coming off of the last season, losing to Seattle and ending Seattle's streak since they hadn't won a playoff series since 2001, uh, going into this year, there was a big, big pressure on the Jays and saying, okay, well, this is what you got to do. You got to be able to win and go deep in the postseason. So the season began. Obviously, struggles from Vladdy really set the tone for this Jays team. They were really struggling with runners in scoring position, um, they could not get that big hit, and that ultimately led into the wild card round as well. They were one of the worst teams in runners and scoring position. They're pitching second-best ERA in the American League throughout the regular season. Ended up going against the third-best ERA, uh, which was the Twins, in the postseason. So this was going to be a battle of the pitchers. We knew there wasn't going to be a ton of runs scored in the games. And um, when you look at it, game one, Jays go into it with their ace, Kevin Gossman. And the Twins bring in Pablo Lopez, who, again, was a really good strikeout pitcher this year, same as Kevin Gosman, but both had struggled a little bit with some run support. So we were going to see what was going to come early. Um, Obviously, watching the game here, actually, in the journalism building, the Jays... Set the tone early with mm, really nothing going on. They got they got on base because of an error, and that was about it. And then we came into the bottom half, and Royce Lewis sets the tone with a two-run homer in the first inning, and Minnesota was on fire. Um, you know, Gossman kind of battled for the rest of the game, and he ended up going to the fifth um, and kind of settled down. And then they ended up making a pitching change, which everyone thought, well, Gossman just got going, but they didn't want to see him the third time around in the order, so they decided to pull him. Game ended up being 3-1 after another solo shot off of Gossman from Royce Lewis, which killed the Jays. And they ended up getting one run after an RBI single from Kevin Kiermeyer, but they just really couldn't get that big hit, um, and that just led into Game 2 as well. And Game 2 is the controversy game. Um, as if you have watched MLB baseball, then you saw exactly what happened in this Blue Jays game. <coughs> the starting pitcher for the Blue Jays was Jose Barrios. So if anybody knows that name, Jose was a former Minnesota twin who the Blue Jays traded for um, in a huge deadline deal to acquire a ace type of pitcher to go along with Alec Manoa and then Kevin Gosman as well. And uh, Jose was really good in his first half, uh, the second half of the season with the Jays in 2021, and then in 2022 really kind of struggled. His fastball was getting hit a lot, which it never had really been. Um, so, it was a really big shock. Um, so, going into this year, everyone was really hoping for a bounce back from Jose, um, and they actually got it. You know, he ended up hitting a three six five ERA on the season, pitched really well in a lot of games, uh, went deep into games, and had a lot of success. So, the Jays were really happy with having him on the mound. He goes into that Minnesota game, and the pressure's on. You know, we, this is a must-win game for the Jays. He goes out, three innings, five strikeouts, dominant, one hit and he is dominating the game. But early on in the game, you can see Yusei Kikuchi getting warm. Um, This was kind of a shock to a lot of us fans um, of the Blue Jays, watching it saying, why are we warming up Kikuchi in a situation in a nothing-nothing ball game? Um, You know, Kikuchi was a really good starting pitcher for the Blue Jays this year. Had, again, similar to Barrios, struggled in 2022 and then bounced back in 2023. But he didn't feel like the pitcher to go to in a relief appearance in a nothing-nothing ball game. Um, So it was just kind of watching it saying, hmm, what's going on right now? Like, why are we warming him up? So the game goes on into the fourth. Barrios comes out. Weed off walk, and John Schneider, the head coach of the Blue Jays, walks out. And I'm in shock. What on earth is going on right now? They ended up deciding to pull Jose Barrios from the baseball game, which was a complete shock to me. Um, But they thought it was the best decision possible. Um, Kikuchi comes in lets up a base hit a walk and then a base hit from Carlos Correa um, they end up scoring two runs one earned off of Kikuchi one earned off of Brios after that walk and that was all that was needed and the game ended up a 2 nothing baseball game the biggest moment of the game other than the Kikuchi um, Burrios moment was when the Blue Jays had the bases loaded in the 7th inning with one out and Matt Chapman steps up to the dish. Again, Blue Jays needing a hit with runners in scoring position. Struggled with it all year. Could not get it done. Very frustrating. Catch Chapman. Hangs a slider. Bam. Hit down the line. I'm like, oh man, this is a double down the line. Doesn't it land about half an inch to two inches? Just foul. And you could feel... Minnesota just shaking if that ball lands fair. I mean, the entire momentum of this series kind of switches right there. If the Blue Jays get that big hit, they score two runs, maybe three. They take the lead into the eighth. They win that game. This is a winner-take-all game three now, and we're talking about a completely different series. Um, but unfortunately, lands foul, and the very next pitch, a fastball outside corner. Chapman rolls over and do a um six four three double play. And that was it. That was about all the Jays had um, in that entire game for offense. And it just kind of summarized the whole season. That postseason they went three for 14 with runners in scoring position. That's terrible. It just can't happen. It can't happen in a series um, where runs are crucial. And when you get runners in scoring position, especially against the top pitching staff, you have to capitalize. I mean, there's going to be innings where, they, where you don't get anybody on base. I get that because it's watching the Blue Jays is the same thing. Um, but the Twins just did a better job of executing in those current moments. They got the big hit when they needed it. Royce Lewis, a rookie, not really a rookie. I mean, he's he's been around, but he comes into the major leagues finally, and he dominates, has his moment, that, that moment that everyone wants, that moment that Vladdy and Bo said that they were ready for this year. They don't get it, and – Royce Lewis and the Minnesota Twins do and unfortunately it ends the Blue Jays season and so the next bit of controversy was okay what are we going to do now about that whole situation with Barrios and Kikuchi like whose decision was that you know was it John Schneider the head coach was it the front office with general manager Ross Atkins and uh, president of baseball ops Mark Spiro I mean did they want to see Kikuchi into the game Um, and I will just play a couple clips here um, and just kind of let you know exactly what head coach John Schneider said, and then I will let you know exactly what uh, general manager Ross Atkins said. So here's the first clip, um, and it's John Schneider reacting to his decision to pull Barrios. Yeah,
1: I mean, I I know that, you know, the way that the game is played today, there are a lot of um, numbers involved, and there are a lot of, Opinions involved and I think that you know, not only us as an organization or me as a manager or us as a staff uh, We've showed throughout the course of the year that you know, you trust people, you know, it's not cut and dry every single day and uh, Whether that means a guy goes a complete game or he goes six or seven innings as opposed to four or five. It's um, I think it gets um, Torn apart a little bit in a in a game when your season ends Um, But yeah, I think it's you know, you have to you have to try to take your best chance every single time. Every decision that I make or we make as a staff, as an organization, is trying to trying to win. And um, when you don't win, you know you, I understand the the reactions and the and the opinions that are out there. But it's um, you know you have to look at everyone and what they've done all year, and you're trying to put them in good spots.
0: So listening to that clip, you know, John. Has a very tough role as the head coach of the Toronto Blue Jays. Obviously, you have an entire country watching your team. Um, so it's not obviously the level of, let's say, hockey. So let's say the Toronto Maple Leafs that way. But when you are head coach of an entire country, every decision that you make is magnified times a thousand. So watching Barrios come out of that game, um, it just makes no sense in my mind I understand that you know you can talk to your coaching staff and others and decide you know what we have a plan in place here that if you know Jose's struggling a little bit or you know he's not really the best of the best we're going to put in Kikuchi and that's going to be our rough draft plan I understand that you have to be precautionary of everything right so Kikuchi definitely has to be ready to go there but you have to watch how the game is going I mean Minnesota looked brutal against barrios i mean he looked the best i think i've seen him all year and as a blue jay in general and so the fact that you decide to pull him in 47 pitches three innings three hits one walk five strikeouts just makes no sense to me because you're taking the human element out of the game and you're just relying on analytics and we've seen that not work we've seen it have some success but it's still brand new, like that way of making decisions instead of watching how the game's going and pulling a guy. Um, you know, you got to look at it and and say, you know what, my guy is is pitching the best I've seen him all year. Screw the plan that I just made. I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with my guy, ride him out a little bit, and then bring in somebody else. Um, you know, again, he's sitting here. And, and he said, you know, you can look at it broadly and say it didn't work out because they scored two runs when we made a change. You can look also look at the fact that it didn't work out because we didn't take advantage of at-bats we had in runners in scoring position. Again, both things are true. You know, you can look at the situation and say, okay, well, the, they scored two runs when we made the change. You can't make that change. What if Kikuchi comes in there and strikes out three batters? I mean, are we going to sit here and make that same, same decision? I think we're all going to sit here and say, I still think you should have kept Barrios in and then let them go two, three more innings and then maybe make a decision. Um, but to bring in the fact that you had advantage of at-bats with runners in scoring position, I mean, I think you're just staying away from the point of you made a coaching decision on based on pitching and now you're just trying to deflect. And I understand that you didn't score with, scoring in, with runners in scoring position and that was the biggest part of the season and the series that really cost them. But in a situation where you have your guy – going full and um and he is unreal you can't pull him there so i'll now play the clip of john or of general manager ross atkins talking about his decision and um what he thought about the decision to pull Burrios. based on the
2: pregame meetings and the information he has provided with? Yeah, I, I, I have a hundred percent confidence that it's not front office pressure. I think what, and I would love for you to talk to John Snyder about that, um, but what I can share with you that I feel, um, and I'm trying not to speak for him, but I've obviously spoken to him a lot in the last 24 hours, um, but I feel based on some of the things that he said, the fact that the plan was somewhat in place, you say had been warming, there was this opportunity to get the right-handed hitters into the game early, which would set us up great late, trumped what he was feeling on the field. And he was feeling it too, how well Jose was pitching. Uh, there was not a influence from the office that factored into that other than maybe that it was an organizational strategy that had been communicated to players. When I say organization, I'm including players, many players over the course of the days prior to that strategy. In our view, the strategy ended up getting us to a point where we deployed the right-handed relievers in an effective way against a more right-handed hitting lineup that led us to an outcome where we, we allowed two runs in a, in a playoff game. We see that from a run prevention st- standpoint as a solid outcome and a good chance to win a game.
1: Evan Carter the scoring start.
0: So now I sit here and I'm thinking, okay, Ross Atkins is on a hot seat as well, um, being the general manager of the Blue Jays and not succeeding in the playoffs in three straight years now. Um, missing out by a game in 2021 and then Seattle sweeps them in the wild card at home in Toronto last year and then this year getting swept in Minnesota against honestly a worse Minnesota team I mean nobody on planet earth thought Minnesota was better than Toronto Um, especially watching the regular season I mean Toronto's playing in a stacked AL East division Minnesota has a weak AL Central they win it and they got hot at the end of the year don't get me wrong but I mean the Jays were playing in just a battle for first place in the AL East and just trying to make the playoffs that way was so hard. Um so I mean you just the the failure just really hurts and it comes down to you have to look at the main guys. So the general manager is the first one. And you know listening to how he said um what he thought of John Schneider's post conference just showed me that he doesn't have full confidence in John Schneider to be the uh, to be the head coach of the Toronto Blue Jays. I mean, he could have said, you know what, we're full support of um, John Schneider, his decisions, but he said this wasn't a front office decision. You know, we didn't make that decision to pull Barrios. That was John Schneider. So you're not throwing him under the bus, but you really are in a sense that, like, you're not saying you had full confidence in him. You're saying, you know what, we thought – Basically, that was the wrong decision, but I can't say that out loud, so I'm just going to say, you know what, we didn't have a say. It was John Schneider's decision, and I've talked to him a lot over the past 24 hours. That really scares me. Um, just listening to it on as a fan, that really means I don't know what the direction of this team is going to look like in the next couple of years. I mean, you look at the Blue Jays' roster, it's going to look significantly different over the next couple of years, and we'll do more of a deep dive here in a second um, on free agents and – um, you know, who's going to sign where, but at this current moment, I mean, I don't know what's going to go on now because the blue Jays now just have no direction with what their team's going to look like in the next couple of years. And I don't know who the head coach is going to be. I don't know who the general manager is going to be. I know they're under contract, but do you have trust in a general manager who doesn't trust his head coach and a head coach who constantly is getting blamed for wrong decisions Um, so I don't know what they're going to do, but it's going to be interesting to look at, um, this off season because it's going to be massive to see what they do and who they re-sign, who they bring back. Um, but I don't think they're going to bring back a lot of people, but here we go. I mean, let's get into it and look a little bit more into a deep dive of the Blue Jays free agents. Um. So, the big one, obviously, Matt Chapman is now going to be a free agent. Um, you know, I loved I loved what Matt Chapman did for this team. I thought Matt Chapman was a great defensive player. Obviously, he was. Um, Jordan Hicks is another uh, free agent. I would love to have Jordan Hicks back. Um, I don't know if we can do that. Obviously, we had a short amount of time with him, but... He looked like a difference maker in the bullpen, and I think him and Jordan Romano could be a deadly one-two combo in the pen. <coughs> Hinjin Ryu. There's a name that not a lot of us thought we'd be talking about right now. Um, Hinjin is a guy that I thought could have been – I mean, he was the best pitcher in the Blue Jays in 2020. Um, now I don't see us resigning him. I don't see the Blue Jays – taking a chance on another older pitcher who has had Tommy John surgery and just doesn't have the velocity. I mean, he still pitched really well um, in the limited innings he had, but it's just not there anymore. And I don't think that that's a guy that you want to bring back on a playoff run. And I mean, he didn't even make the playoff roster. That should tell us all we need to know. Um, The next name is Brandon Belt. Signed this year, played one year. I mean, he was a really weird – Player for the Blue Jays, you look at it and you're like, yeah, you know what, he's okay. He didn't really do much. Um, you know, really struggled at the start of the year, so a lot of people wrote him off and said he was too old. And then the second half comes around. I mean, he dominates. Like, just dominated the second half. Um, and so now I'm like, okay, well, should the Blue Jays resign this guy? But uh, all of a sudden, you're looking, at him and he's considering retirement. Um, and so now you're going to lose out on a first baseman who was a really, really good hitter for you down the stretch and a good left-handed hitter, which the Blue Jays have been looking for for a while. Um, next option is Kevin Kiermeyer. Again, Kevin Kiermeyer is a stud and I hated him every single time I saw him pitch, or sorry, saw him in the outfield for the Tampa Bay Rays and said, man, he just steals so many hits and reminded me so much of Kevin Pillar, but just had that more of that, like, personality um, that Pilar really didn't have as much. So when he got signed by the Blue Jays, I said, ooh, I, I really like this. Some people just thought, you know, it's a, what a what a depth signing, but he ended up being our starting center fielder, um, and he was a absolute beast for them all year long. He's already made a, uh, a post on the Internet um, just thanking the Blue Jays fans, saying how truly special it was to play in Toronto, so it doesn't really sound like they're going to re-sign him. Again, I don't know, but that will be a big look. Um, And then the other name um, that has a mutual option that's probably going to be declined will be Whit Merrifield. Whit? I am a huge fan of Whit Merrifield. I'm not going to lie to you guys. Um, I know he's older now, um, but I still feel like he can really contribute on a winning baseball team. And I also think he can be a leader on this team because – Looking at it, he was mad when uh, Barrios got pulled. He was, like, super pissed off, did not want to be pulled. Um, and I just feel like he cares so much about uh, winning that he's a guy you want on your team, even if he's just going to become a depth piece for them. I feel like he should really take a chance in, uh re-signing him and focus on it as well. Um, now, the bullpen side. Chad Green. Um, Chad Green is a beast, um, came off Tommy John, the Blue Jays signed him, taking a chance on him. He came back at the end of the year and I mean, he was lights out in the bullpen. I want to see him in a Blue Jays uniform again badly. Um, I don't know if he's going to, um, but he definitely deserves to be on the team with the Blue Jays. Um, and again, with Jordan Hicks would be unreal and I'd love to see that signing again. Um, I think that would really just add to the bullpen. Again, having Chad Green um, and then having Jordan Hicks and Jordan Romano in the black of the bullpen, along with Tim Meza and Jimmy Garcia, that bullpen is scary, man, scary. And I think that's where they were missing a lot of consistency. And now you have Eric Swanson as well. I mean, that's going to be nasty. Um, now, again, I look at another guy. Um This is, again, just going back on the Whit Merrifield. Here's the quote um, on pulling Burrios. He said, I hated it. Frankly, it's not what costs us the game, but it's the kind of baseball decisions that are taking away from managers and baseball at this stage in the game. So, again, that just tells me that this guy really cared and he really wants to play for a winning team, and he hates losing. So I don't don't know if they're going to um, bring Whit back, but I would say... This would be a really big look and say, you know what, maybe we should bring him back. Um, looking at the stats, Boba led them in average uh, with a three hundred six batting average. Um, Vlad led them in home runs at 26, 94 RBIs again for Vlad. It just didn't feel like the team was destined to win this year for some reason. And I feel like the stars and everything was there. It was all aligned for them mean Springer was healthy for most of the year. He ended up hitting 258. Not good enough. Vladdy hit 264. Not good enough. Whitmerfield hit 272 and he played 145 games. I will take that con- type of um, consistency from him. Dalton Varsho, the biggest trade of the offseason who they traded for um, for Teoscar or sorry for Lourdes Gurriel Jr. and Gabriel Moreno. Um, Varsho was lights out. I mean, he was better than advertised in the outfield. The defensive run saved metrics. The Blue Jays led all of MLB, and it wasn't even close. They had 81 defensive runs saved compared to second place, who I believe was in the 50s or the 40s, and it wasn't even absolutely close to them. Um, So if you look at that, that's great. Hitting side, 222 batting average, uh, 20 homers, 62 RBIs. Decent production, but 222 just hurts, man. I mean, he's just not getting on base. Matt Chapman in April was the best hitter on the planet. Ends up hitting 240 with 17 homers and 54 RBIs. Alejandro Kirk coming off an all star season bats two fifty with eight homers and forty three RBIs. Just not good enough from the guys that you needed to step up. Santiago Espinal, all star last year, two forty eight batting average. Nothing. They just brutal, brutal, and just couldn't get anything going. Now, if I look at our bullpen, Tim Meza, 1.52 ERA. Nasty. Jimmy Garcia, 4.09 ERA, but through 66 innings, I mean, he was pitching all the time, and he has some pretty big moments for us. So I'm not going to be mad at that. Uh, Eric Swanson, 2.97 ERA. Really, really good. Really, really good. Jordan Romano, 2.90 ERA. Had some costly moments, but for the most part was really consistent for the Jays. Um, guy I don't want to see back is Trevor Richards. Um, you know, I think he had some decent <laughs> moments throughout the year, but by the end of the year it was just awful to watch. I mean, just no consistency out of the bullpen. Um, then you look at Nate Pearson. I mean, there's there's a name that if the Blue Jays could develop him, if he it's not even the, on the Blue Jays anymore. It's up, to, it's up to Nate if he can really figure this out. I don't know I don't know what's going on. Obviously, I'm not in the front office of the Blue Jays or behind the scenes. I can't tell you what's going on in Nate Pearson's head, but that guy has all the stuff to become a star in the MLB, and it's just not working out. Um, so I don't know if they're going to keep just trying it with him or maybe involve him in a trade and just send him off to somewhere else where he can kind of reset and maybe try and get somebody for maybe a bullpen or a left-handed hitter, um, involve him in a package. Um, and then you got your signing of Chris Bassett, 3.60 ERA, 200 innings pitched, which is a magical number nowadays. He um, had one hundred eighty nine or 186 strikeouts. Uh, Jose Barrios, 3.65 ERA, 184 strikeouts and 189 innings. Yusei Kikuchi, 3.87 ERA, 167 innings pitched, 181 Ks. Kevin Gossman, 237 Ks, 3.16 ERA, 185 innings. Yeah, that will play. I mean, that is four starters all above 180 innings except for Kikuchi, who's right around it, um, who just dominated. Like, just dominated. And and then you got Alec Manoa, 87 innings pitched, 5.87 ERA, 79 strikeouts, 58 walks, 58. Gossman threw 98 more innings than him and had three less walks. I mean – from a guy that had a 2.3 ERA last year to just go completely the other way. I mean, it was ugly, ugly, ugly to watch. Um, I just don't know what's going to happen now. I don't, and I genuinely don't know if he's going to become a Toronto Blue Jay again next year or if he's going to be starting in the minor leagues. The front office is not talking about him. I mean, they, they slumped off stuff and did not want to listen to him. And it really scared me um, to hear that. So um, I don't know what they're going to do. Um, but, I mean, I, I see him still being able to help. Um, it was actually released one day ago that he had an injection in his shoulder. Um, so I don't know. I don't know what's going on, but he went 9 and 2 in his rookie year 16 and 7 with a 2.24 ERA in 2022. I mean, how can you not be that good? Like how what 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 is going on to completely completely fall off a cliff the next year? Uh shocking to me and very scary. Um so again, a lot of decisions for the Blue Jays to make this year. Um I really don't know what they're going to do. Um, I'd love to see, again, they got to make some decisions here. They're going to have to sign some new guys. Um, Cody Bellinger is one that I could see them really going after. Um, Another guy who's a left-handed hitter that they really need. Um, And I could see them just, you know, they've had some big contracts that they've handed out over the past couple of years and I would say do it again um, cuz frankly it needs to happen i mean they don't have um anybody that really can step into that role anymore because um this is not working it's not working anymore i mean brandon belt's going to be gone probably kevin Kiermeyer's probably going to be gone your best hitters are all right-handed and you need a balance um i don't know We'll see, but just to listen to Brandon Belt real quick. Um, I'll play this video just to hear his take on what his future is gonna look like. Um, so just give me a sec here. Of course the classic ads. Um but I mean I I I'd look at Kiermeyer's probably gone. If Belt's going to return, I would go all out for him. I would because I feel like you could just have him as a depth piece and it would really work.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I I don't, I don't know what I'm gonna do. You know, I mean, this could be, this could be the end for me, or I I don't know. I just, I just don't know yet. So I got something I got to talk with my family about, and and, uh, you know, see what their thoughts are on it, and see how I feel about it in a couple months. just go from there. Because of that situation these last few weeks, were you kind of trying to soak things up a little bit more than, than usual? Or was it you trying to keep that in? I, mean, I don't think I had much time to soak anything in. We were trying to get in the playoffs. So I think I was just c- competing to the best of my ability, and I kind of kept everything on the back burner.
0: So, again, now listening to that clip, I think he's gone. I do. I think he's going to talk to his family and kind of realize, you know what, this was my last chance to really just have a chance with a a team to really help them and be part of a playoff run. I don't know if his in, he had an injury at the end of the year. I don't know if he's going to be able to stay healthy enough to play another full 162 games. Um, But I just don't think it's going to happen. So now, um, I mean, looking into next year, Jay's got a lot of decisions to make Um, based on who they're going to bring back, maybe who they're going to bring in. Obviously, the talent's still there. It's not like this team is bad. They are a playoff team for sure. They can, they're can they definitely better than 89 wins. I can guarantee that. I mean, watching them all year long, the runners in scoring position is what killed them. If they figure that out, they are winning 95-plus 95, 90, 95 games. I mean, even if they come middle of the pack with runners in scoring position, they're going to win a lot more games. So I'm going to be interested to see what goes on um, over the next couple weeks. Obviously, the Jays can get right after it now, being going into um, making trades or re-signing guys. Um, but we'll see. I'm interested to see what happens over the next couple of weeks. Obviously, we'll we be back. Um, I'll probably give it a couple of weeks just to let some things go by, let the playoffs run out a little bit, and see what the Jays do. Um, but I just want to thank you guys again. Um, for listening to Curveball Conversations. Um, we will see you again in a couple of weeks and probably give you an update on the Blue Jays um, and see what they've done. Um, have they re-signed anybody? Are they going to make trades? Is the head coach or the general manager gone? Um, we can find that out in a couple of weeks. So thanks again for listening, and uh, we'll uh, see you guys next time. Dot .com